through for us yes so we got to see a screening tonight with sean collier and his co-podcaster aaron kleiber and just a quick shout out to them aside from them inviting us to the screening they are over at you can't handle the truth podcast having their 200th episode what it's gonna drop the same day as this one does so right after you finish listening to this head over to you can't handle the truth listen to their 200th episode i am a guest on it (laughs) Nice. You should listen to it anyway. <laughs> but extra reason to listen is that I guess. All right, let's talk about Atomic Blonde, guys. So we're going to do our best to be non-spoilery at the top. So if you're like, God, I could not wait to listen to Theranathon, but I have not yet seen Atomic Blonde, we'll have some stuff for you. And then at some point, we're going to devolve. Yeah. And we'll do our best to warn you, even if it's a post-edit. Okay, from here on out, you gotta, you right. got to stop if yeah. you want to not be spoiled. I don't know what your feelings are about spoilers, but I respect people's aversion to them. So we're going to do our best to respect that. Me too. I'm, I am generally spoiler-averse. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, let's start with our one sound review. I find this really hard. We yeah. literally just saw just the movie and right. drove here, so I feel a little in a daze, and that might be coming across. Yeah. So mine is... Oh. Mine is Hey! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Mine is Ah! <laughs> Going back to the spoiler thing, I felt inundated with advertisements for this film. Correct. I think the internet has cottoned on to the fact that I am a fan of Charlize Theron. And they were like, Dear Regina Connolly, we have something for you, targeted ads. Yeah. And I tried so hard not to look at anything. And I have to say, I am typically like a big fan of trailers, but I am going to be critical of this movie's trailers because I feel like they spoil some of what could have been very magical moments in the movie Mm -hmm. that I was like, oh yeah, I 100% remember this happening in the trailer. So if you like Charlize Theron and you want to see this movie and have not seen the trailer, I'd say go in blind if you can. I think it will significantly improve the experience. But one thing that I don't consider a spoiler that I feel like should have made it into the trailers but didn't was that this movie is set in 1989. I liked that I didn't know that because it felt like one of the only things about the movie that I didn't have a preconceived notion about. And it is... It is set in 1989, and I think they do a very delightful job. That was part of the movie that I was the most interested in. It made the movie a whole grade better. I think this movie had really good world building, and it was 1989 world building. Yeah. Uh, And I was very fascinated by how much work they were able to do on that end on top of a convoluted spy plot. 
So I did know that it was set in the 1980s, and I don't know where I learned this from that I that you guys hadn't seen. Because uh, we definitely, there were people talking about it at the theater as they were right. walking out of the screening. Other people were saying, I had no idea this wasn't set in the present. I mean, I think I maybe could just tell by, like, the interview room that she's shown in being in the trailer. And okay. The, the tape that is obviously playing in the background and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, but I definitely knew it was set during the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yes. So, right. So the backdrop, it's, you know, it takes place over roughly a week in Berlin while the Berlin Wall is falling. And and the climax is when they're actually going at it with sledgehammers. And that's a storytelling trope that I love. Like, individual stories happening alongside this huge thing. Like that one episode of Buffy, the Zeppo. That is what I was going yes. to prompt you to say. Because <laughs> I know that that is Robin. My dad's favorite episode of Buffy and I, I mean, I can I can't really think of anything else that does it right now. But I, it's like a trope, and I love it. Like people's own personal stories, overshadowing huge world events, never not awesome. Yeah, and I think that the this movie takes a different take on that. Like I feel like there are definitely movies where it's like this big historical event is happening, and we are going to see a microcosm of everyday life with these individuals. And I don't think that's what this movie no, is doing. Like no. it is to some extent, but it's like here's this giant world event. And here is how that would affect individuals in the spy world to some extent. Yeah, but their but spy business is largely unrelated. Correct. Yes. Like, all of them yes. are in the spy business because of the Cold War. But the shit that goes down in the movie, Berlin Wall is not relevant. I mean, I guess they have, like, some border crossing issues. But the fall of the Berlin Wall is not relevant. Yeah, the the politics behind it all are not... It's more the logistics that are relevant right. than the politics. I will return to that point in the post-spoiler section on this, because I disagree with you guys. Okay. Teaser for later in the podcast. <laughs> I have an opinion. Okay, so broad strokes of the plot with no spoilers. Charlie Theron is a spy. She's in Berlin. She's on a rampage. <laughs> yeah. She's like a punk spy as well. Yeah. It's very kind of punky in its sensibility and like it's aesthetic. Yes. And all that kind of stuff. So she is there and she's been dispatched there to investigate the death of... Another spy. Another spy. Another British agent. Yeah. And then when she goes there, she w- also wants to investigate the circumstance around his death. He's re- she's really only there to collect his body officially. Right. But she manufactures a reason to investigate. Also, she had some kind of personal relationship with him, which is left completely vague, which I enjoyed. Yes. It's not like he was fridged for her. Yeah, there were flashbacks to them them both under a sheet. Yeah. And that's as implied as it gets. Right. And also, like that one, is in the trailer. There's so. like yes. one lovey picture. I'm trying to think of what segments we could do before we go into the not, into the full spoiler zone Mm -hmm. would you think this movie is improved by a prison riot absolutely there's so many places we could have a prison riot. i mean there's all there's pretty much an actual riot yeah that's true i mean i assume a lot of people were in prison in east berlin right? right okay and i assume that when east berlin was you know ceasing to exist it probably rioted right I should expect so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we, I guess we'll have to go do some Wikipedia research there, but it seems like this could have happened. Guys, can I say something embarrassing? Yeah. We can decide later if we want to keep this or not. But you know how, like, sometimes there are very obvious words that people can't spell without, like, looking it up? Like, I can never spell restaurant right on the first try. I always I have, have to be like, guardians what? is one for me. It's like a thing that I obviously, like, have learned many times. Occasionally. And, like, can't hold on to it. I, every time I think West Berlin and East Berlin, have to think, we... Oh, right. That's the communist one. That's the non-communist one. Which is crazy, 
But I constantly am like, wait, which one was under Russia? Right, that's the E. Like, we for west to east. Oh, you have to, like, picture a compass rose. Yes, I have to picture a <laughs> compass rose, read it left to right, and then remember how maps work and who was a commie and who was not. So a lot of the times when this movie was happening, like, I wanted to, like, look at my hands and be like, left is for west. <laughs> For people who watched Alias, you may recall how every time Sydney went to Germany, it was like everywhere was a sex club. <laughs> they kind of have, I guess it's this punky aesthetic. They yeah. kind of have that going on in this movie in Berlin. Guys, speaking of aesthetics, this movie is, I think, very beautifully it's filmed. It's so stylish. It's yes. the... And like visually, I don't... Stunning might be going too far. Striking. It's captivating. Yes. It's very, very beautifully photographed. Yeah. It has it has an amazing color palette that yes. I think it works with very well with one notable like eye roll moment from me. Can you talk about that? I cannot. Okay. But the designer clothes that she's wearing are stunning from beginning to end. She yeah. Has, um, I think honestly like this might be her best dressed movie. It, they did a good job of having her dressed in era appropriate clothes that are timelessly chic. Correct. Like, it is not like look at those goofy shoulder pads kind of situation. No. And I'd be interested to talk to like an actual fashion historian and I'm actually internet friends with one so I'll I'll have her weigh in. I don't know if she really covers contemporary fashion history, but they maybe were blurring the lines trying to make them a little bit more modern I'm a little sure less. That they were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was convincingly 80s-ish. For a non-fashion yes. historian, I was I was convinced by what they were presenting. Right. And it was it was incredibly like I know they I feel like they say this all the time about action movies. It's very stylish. But it was. It had it, really it had was. a real style, it had real world building, even though it's set in the real world. Did it remind you of a certain other particularly stylish action movie? Guys, I don't know if you know how all three of us feel about the film John Wick. But we have strong strong feelings about it. I mean, you may have noticed that we all are really interested in the actor Keanu Reeves. Correct. I mean, he comes up once a podcast, maybe seven times a podcast. Right, and our interest in him is not greater than our interest in Charlie's No, 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 no. Tantamount. Yeah, but this movie, like, I feel like this movie was designed for Regina Connolly in that it is the movie Salt starring Angelina Jolie and the movie John Wick shaken together and tossed out onto the screen for me to watch. Accurate. And it has every element of all those things that you could possibly want. Yeah, it has like the spy movie elements of Salt. It has amazing fight scenes. Amazing fight scenes and world building and color palette beautifulness of John Wick. Um, so can we do without spoilers who you would cast Keanu as in this movie? I cannot. Okay. I also can. I can't think. I haven't really I also, I was considered. Say, I'm like, I, hey, I need I, more time. Right. To I think need about more time. Yeah. And I, my gut answer, we're going to have to wait till the spoiler session. Guys, I think that means it's time for the spoiler no, session. No, wait. We have no. a couple more things we have to say. Okay. The soundtrack. Holy Jesus. You didn't like it? No, I really liked it. But guys, I love David Bowie so much. And there was a lot of David Bowie in this. And I have been sad about him being dead for since he's been dead. But this is... <laughs> not before. <laughs> not before. It hadn't occurred to me that it was possible that that might happen. And when the end credits came on, uh, one of my favorite songs of all time came on. And it was... 
like, even though the movie had just happened, I was like, I'm enjoying this movie. I was like, oh, man. And I think it's because it was a period piece. It felt more like there was more nostalgia and like, oh, we can't, like, those things don't exist anymore. We're in a different world. And I just really miss David Bowie. This is a movie that is, if, like, it doesn't really happen anymore, but movies used to be, their soundtracks were, like, greatest hits albums. Like, yeah. Or, or, like, you know, this is, you know, appropriate for this theme, like, a, a collection of music. This is, a like, a throwback to that. This is, like, a series of songs otherwise disconnected except for this movie and the time period that it's set in. So this soundtrack will make a great album to listen to in your car. It's like an awesome 80s mix. Yeah. And then they do a really good job with... Some of the pairings are like super on the nose and I'm into it. Like when (laughs) they're... They turn up the radio so they can have a conversation that won't get recorded and it's Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. I'm into it. So it's like, turn up the radio, hush, hush. Get it. <laughs> and unlike when fame appeared in 15 minutes, I was on board I, for that. I was 100% on board. <laughs> it reminded me very much of the BBC show Life on Mars and Ashes oh, yeah. to Ashes, which I don't know if you've oh, seen that. I was in love with Life on Mars. It was, And then when I started watching Ashes to Ashes, I was like, I don't know if I can deal with this. Yeah. I don't know if I ever finished Ashes to Ashes. But I, that was something I that I think I watched like of, three episodes and I was like, this is too weird. It's very, <laughs> but that is a very strongly like, it's set in an era and the music of that era is playing. And I and think it's that's hugely just like woven in and yes. like feels integral. I think it is different than, for example, Guardians of the Galaxy, which also has an era centric soundtrack that is like a hardcore part of the movie but because it's set in space in the future it doesn't feel the same to me right it feels more for the audience than for the characters yeah i mean i'd say that was kind of true here as well but this is this is a lot more earnest Mm -hmm. in its soundtrack choices whereas guardians of the galaxy is definitely like purely for fun yeah this also has a huge amount of the thing where the music goes from diegetic to non-diegetic and back and (laughs) forth and I can't help it. I always think that's cool. I I have liked that since Audrey put the quarter in the jukebox and her theme song came on. And I was like, yeah, I'm into this world. I mean, it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, it's part of the real world. Yeah. Oh, it's gone slightly tinny. It sounds like it's playing in the background now. Oh, is it about to swell? Pan out? Okay. Turn up the bass. (laughs) Another feature is a sad cover of 99 Left Balloons. (laughs) <laughs> which is amazing. Oh, uh, Alex Reed is in this movie, so that was really fun to see him pop up. Uh, he makes great theme songs, and his uh, youthful doppelgangers will get you out of a tight spot if you need them. <laughs> yes, there is a an actor who looks like a young Alex Reed, and he was very charming. Is Just that, like, do you guys know that actor from anything? I don't I recognize him from somewhere. I. Don't know where. He, I doubt he gives, like, I'm like, do I just think I recognize this actor because he looks like young Alex Reed? You know, no, one of those I, things? I definitely recognize him something I don't know. The other actor I recognized, there, there is a, a henchman who is also in John Wick as the same henchman with so, the same role. The blonde dude? Yeah, the guy who's okay. like the super tough guy. Oh, that guy! Yeah, he bests John Wick in the club and throws him over a balcony. Yes, he's with the black hair there. Yeah, he's got black hair in this and he's got slick blonde hair in this, but he plays the same role yeah. and in the same, does the same thing. So, Aaron was saying as we were walking out that the director of this film also worked on John Wick. Like, it was an uncredited director of John Wick and was maybe fired oh. from John Wick and then they, like, picked up someone else and they got the sole credit that was purely speculative and like we said we really just drove home from the theater and started recording (laughs) because it's late like we didn't even look up how to pronounce 
that one actress who's in this movie, and she was also in Star Trek Beyond and Kingsman. Sophia, Sophia Butella. Yeah. yeah. Is that how it's pronounced? I have no idea. Guys, I really want to start actually talking about the movie. Something we can say about that is not spoiler-related is the fight scenes in this are really good. They're phenomenal. And they're also... I, I saw some internet commentators trying to criticize them based on the trailer saying that they were too slow or that they were some something about them was incompetent in some way and I was like you're they have just, a woman in them you're yeah I was like you're just wrong like, yeah it's, they're extremely convincing extremely well done and also very brief I thought with the exception of maybe one mm-hmm. which is one incredible long take yeah presumably composited but very convincingly but, composited and such a good fight regardless yeah, of the really camera good. work like it took me a long time to be like oh they haven't cut yeah I was yeah. just enjoying the fight so much yeah i also like i think it didn't suffer from like the later born movies where you're like what the fuck is happening oh, yeah, like, i could... guess this is a brutal fight because you keep blasting my ears with punching sound effects but like right. you couldn't follow what's going on yeah it didn't but... suffer from any shaky cam you could always tell what was going on and it was brief it never got boring yeah. it was also brutal everything looked like it hurt Yep. It was messy. Even in, like, the opening scene when, like, there's a guy running and he jumps over a fence and, like, when he, it, like, his feet hit the ground, I actually winced at that. Cause, yeah. Like, that really felt like it had, like, real impact behind it. it right. Was, it wasn't, like, gliding over like a superhero. Like, he was fumbling and stumbling and, like, it really felt like there were consequences involved. Right. This movie really takes its time to show you that actions, uh, be they fights or otherwise, like, have physical consequences. Yeah. Uh, Like, be they emotional or physical, like, it is very interested in the the feet hitting the ground moment throughout the movie. This is not not Indiana Jones fighting a big German. Like, this is, like, people get bruised and have, have, like, lasting effects on them. Yeah. And also, Charlize is clearly an amazing fighter, but she can't instantly incapacitate people, which I feel like we see a lot in spy movies. They're like, they just like, you know, put a a sharp palm into someone's neck and like the fight's over, where it's like, I'm going to hit your knee and then your neck and then your solar plexus and it's over. No, she does those things, but then has to continue the fight. I think the thing that I like about John Wick is how he has to bring many guns with him. Yeah. Like the amount of guns that he needs and the amount of bullets and how he interacts with them is a large part of the fight choreography. Right. It's an integral part. It's not a just magic number of bullets. Right. And I think this movie takes very seriously that she couldn't easily travel with a gun to East and West Berlin right. unnoticed, and that getting a gun would be a complicated endeavor, and having one would be great, but at the same time, like, when bullets run out, they do, and that she doesn't have, like, a cash supply system. Right. I mean, she has amazing outfits, but she does not have all those other things. Right. And so I think that they... Um, like you said, like focus on the fist fighting in that way where it's like, it's not going to be one punch and that person's knocked out. Like people can take a beating, but it doesn't also feel like, oh, we're going to watch someone just take a beating for the sake of it. She does use guns occasionally, but like Regina was saying, like she gets to shoot four bad guys and there's five more and she is out of bullets and she goes and searches the bodies of the bad guys and comes up with nothing. And so she's like, well, uh, corkscrew. Guess I'm going to hit this guy with the other side of the gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was really that was really fun to watch. I just I feel like I can't say anything. Okay. <laughs> I'm finding this very challenging for some reason. I'm so, so worried I'm gonna ruin this for some Let's not non-traditionally rank in the middle. And we so can talk that more about it at the end. As spoiler well. free people, I uh, can can stop listening now. So I've having only just seen this three seconds ago, I'm finding it very hard to rank. I'm Same. currently like I've 
I, I, it's really tied with devil's advocate for me. Feel like, exactly the same I'm just way. Like, I don't know. Is it, is it better? Is it worse? Am I just? Is it just fresher? I can't tell. Devil's advocate is a deeply silly movie. So I'm like, I, I might. I've currently ranked it lower, like just one lower. But I think I might like it better. I think it might be a better movie. So I was thinking about this during the theater. I wasn't thinking about who is Keanu because. There was no time. There was no time. But during the fight scenes and whenever a song played, I was like, I fucking love this movie. (laughs) I'm ranking it above Kubo. This is amazing. Then there would be parts that didn't have fighting and didn't have that. And I was like, ah. But Devil's Advocate also has a lot of weaknesses. And so I'm going to put this above Devil's Advocate. So I think that that's my new number four. So, well, because I had it in my mind of where I was going to put it, but you guys are very convincing. It's very difficult because I am ranking movies more on their Charlize-iness yes. than this is just as a movie itself. Supremely charlize It is true. So I'm going to say that originally I was going to put it between Devil's Advocate and Fate of the Furious because I just have such a deep sentimental attachment to Devil's Advocate, even though yeah. I know that it is a more flawed movie. But... On pure Charlize-ness alone, like, she is definitively, like, more like more in this and more complex and there's more going on than Fate of the Furious, so it definitely beats that. And even though I imprinted on her in Devil's Advocate, I think this is gonna make a jump and become my number two. It is below young adult, because I think in the other movies, like, she is a main character, but, like, this is, I think, one of the few movies we've seen where she is just definitively, like, I am the star of this movie. I am the star, and James McAvoy is well below me in stardom. I feel like the last one like this was Eon Flux. I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and I... Yeah, the fight scenes are better in this. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, howdy, are they? There are so many things better in this. But yeah, I'm trying to think of, is there another movie that we've seen where she's like, the star? Uh, I don't think so. Snow White and the Huntsman? No, No, that was Snow White and and What's His Thors is... What's His Thors? Alright guys, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers from beginning to end. Pause the button, pause the button, here we go. So from here until the end is going to be spoilers. Yeah, we're just, we're gonna talk about this movie like we talk about every other movie. I'm going to do a very quick plot summary. So Charlize Theron is a spy and she is told you have to go to Berlin to get the body of someone who is a former agent. And we know from seeing the romantic shots that they have some type of past, but she does not allude to it with her superior. She's right. just like, I knew him to say hello. Yeah. And she is told that she's going to meet with James McAvoy. He's going to be her contact and that he's been the head agent for MI6 in East Berlin for a long time now. Which seems like a really big deal. And also, yeah, it's like he runs that city. But they And that's also, like probably the most important spying city yes. in the world at that time. So he's hot shit. And also they're sort of like, he's gone a little native, like because he's there and isolated, he hasn't had like a tight control over him. And that all the like shady dealings that happen, they're like, mm, that might be getting to him. Yeah. So she is sent to get the body of the man. And also there's a list of all the agents, because there's always a list of all the agents. Yeah. Same movies. story as the first Mission Impossible and Skyfall. All of them. And Guys, yeah. stop writing all your agent information in one place. <laughs> <laughs> be it microfiche, be it a smart drive, just stop. <laughs> just keep separate files and don't put them in one place. <laughs> Except for keep making these movies because I enjoy them. Yeah. yeah. So she goes they and... need a MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. deliberately fucks something up so that it will take longer so that she can investigate because we learn that she is also trying to find out Uh, who a double agent is, who's been working for both MI6 and for the Russians and has been fucking a lot of stuff up. 
So she interacts with James McAvoy. Uh, she's not really sure who she can trust. She is followed by a French agent who she makes out with, Delphine. Um, Sophia Brutella. Yes. And they are trying to get the person who turned the list over out of East Berlin to West Berlin. And we slowly start to see that James McAvoy is fucking her over. Yeah. Uh, he shoots that guy and she tries desperately to save him, but is not able to. She's fighting with the That's the when the Russians, amazing fight scene happens. And we will yeah. talk more about that in a while. So James McAvoy, we learn, is... We are led to believe that he is the double agent. And Satchel. That, Satchel. And he is setting her up so that she would get killed along with the spyglass, who is the guy who gave them the list. But she survives because she's a badass and the star of this movie. Oh, um, also, the reason that the guy is important, the spyglass, he has a photographic memory... Which only exists in the movies, but he does. It also works in Mission Impossible. So, yes, exactly. So he knows who's on the list. Right. But she didn't know that because James McAvoy withheld that information. And the things that we've seen about James McAvoy is that he is sort of like a a, a mini kingpin of a black market. Like, Mm -hmm. he's the one who can get you the goods from the other side. Like, he deals in Jordache and... Jack Daniels. And so he has, like, power and status. Jordash and Jack Daniels. <laughs> what everybody wants. 1989. <laughs> uh, so we see him talking to the Russians, and so we... Uh, he is Satchel in our minds. Yeah. She's not able to save Spyglass, and she knows that she's being set up by James McAvoy to be... to take the fall as Satchel. Yeah. We see James McAvoy reading the list because he kills the guy who had taken it from the original spy, and... We see him reading it, and it says something about her, but we don't know what it is, and we see the term satchel. And then he kills, he being James McAvoy, kills her lover, the French agent, who was sort of like, I'm new at this, I don't think I'm going to be a good spy. And she's like, I'm better at this than you think. And he comes in and kills her. And then we cut to Charlize, who then kills James McAvoy, and he's like, you're going to tell them I'm satchel, aren't you? And she was like, hmm, shoot you in the head. Yeah. Um, And then this whole time- So I guess you're supposed to be like, What? She's the bad guy! And then we cut to the debriefing room, and you see that over the course of the movie, she's been recording things, and she's splicing together conversations to incriminate him as Satchel. So you're like, oh shit, Charlize is the bad guy, and this is the costume choice that I was going to talk about, guys. I have so many things to say about this goddamn coat. So the entire movie, she's in black and white, and then when we realize that she's the double agent, she's wearing red for the communists. She's wearing a sweeping red coat and it's exactly the same as in Salt where all of a sudden she becomes an evil brunette. (laughs) Uh, And then we see the Russians being like, all right, like give us the information. He calls her Satchel and then we have another badass fight scene. She kills all of them and then she's like, you were working for me all along. I've been here to undermine, to basically bring down the wall. Really, at the end, I am the one who's behind the fall of the Berlin Wall, yeah. which is why I do think it is important and how it affects them. Oh. And then there's yet another twist where we find out that she's not a British agent. She's been a CIA agent all along. And so she was a CIA agent working as a undercover British agent, but also a double agent against the Russians. Right. So she's a CIA agent undercover as a double agent in MI6. And MI6 doesn't know that she's a double agent. Right. So she's undercover. She's like a quadruple agent. Correct. And so James McAvoy was not satchel, but was doing ethically compromised things because of his prolonged period, we are led to believe, of being like... I spend my whole life doing spy work, but uh, ideology means nothing. It's just what can you do for yourself? And that I needed the list. That power did not work for me. Would he like? There's this. I really dislike. With all due respect to Jonathan Demme, I really dislike when actors look into the camera when they're speaking to Mm. characters. 
And was he speaking to her? I think he was in the Rages. That's... Don't... See also Wolf of Wall Street. Don't add narrating at the end of a movie. They do (laughs) set that up in the beginning. When we are introduced to him, he does look at the camera and addresses the audience. I thought he was talking to someone. I think you're supposed to think that. Okay, yeah, well, it's is... cheesy as fuck. And anyway, he's like, it's he's punk, like, man. yeah, rules. he's like, here's my, here's my motivation speech. And he's like, I don't know about, you know, East or West. All I know is that I fucking love Berlin. And I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like, I think it's basically like he used to have ideals, but then like all that was taken away. He got cynical. He was a big fish in a, in a small pond who, yeah. like, who could control people through his access to supply and information. Right. So he, and he also was like, like you said, like, I think he was the best spy in the world in the most important spy town. And kind of got left alone there. And did successfully get one over on Charlize yeah. throughout the movie. So, like, he was very good, but not good enough. Right. The part that doesn't make any, any sense to me is the... I understand that they have to have like the guy who has memorized the list, mm-hmm. but based on the power struggle, like information is power, all the list, 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 getting that guy across the border doesn't help anyone do anything at all. James I, McAvoy had no intention of him crossing the border. He shoots him. Well, exactly. Yeah. But Charlie still should have presumably understood that concept as well. Like, well, we don't need him. We need the list to not get into other people's hands. They should have just killed him. Well, that's like, but that's if they can't get their hands on the actual list, but they can get their hands on him. They don't need the information in the list. They're trying to prevent other people from getting it. They do need it because they don't know who Satchel is. But she does. She knows that she's Satchel. Right. So about halfway through the movie, I was like, "Mm, Charlize is probably Satchel. Yeah, because I'm like they're late. Five minutes. Yeah, I'm like they are. They are going way too heavy with the James McAvoy thing, but then. During that big fight scene where she's protecting photographic memory guy, I'm like, well, if she's Satchel, why would she do this? Because I think there is other information that the CIA doesn't have. Because she's working for the CIA, and it's MI6 that doesn't want the information to get out. But at the time, not knowing that. And just thinking, like, the twist was going to be, she's evil, she works for the Russians. I really am not sure if the plot twists hold up to scrutiny. I don't think they do. I don't know if I care. (laughs) I don't think think, think it's important. I would rather movies sometimes lean into building a satisfying world and telling a good story than worrying about making sure all the backstory boxes are checked. So like that John sense? Wick, for example. Correct. The universe of John Wick, even before John Wick Chapter 2, which just like quadrupled down on how weird the universe of John Wick is. <laughs> yeah. But in the first movie, it's like, whoa, this is a really strange universe where Criminal Underground is like most of New York. Right. And that is not explained and it doesn't need you to be. You don't need an explanation yeah, to enjoy the story. It's also saved by its vagueness. You, you yes. see the details disconnected from the mechanism. Yeah. I also think that it's a little harder for this movie to successfully pull that off. It's set more firmly in the quote unquote like real world than John yeah. Wick is. Even yeah. That takes place in New York. And also it's fundamentally a mystery and I think that mysteries no matter how they play out you right. expect a bit more of but I want to know the end. Whereas John Wick is an action movie, right. so if some of the backstory is not there, you don't need it because you're in the middle of an exciting tale. But right. I think when something is laid out of like mystery, 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 you want a payoff. Right. So I think in some ways the movie suffers a little bit just from the nature of it being a spy mystery movie. Yeah. yeah. 
So you thought that the twists were not satisfying. How do you feel about the movie overall? I, I thought the movie was great. I, t- I totally, those are the only nitpicks I had with it. Everything else, I'm like, oh, I liked it. Like, it was, I, I thought it was great. It was thrilling from start to finish. The mystery was mostly compelling, though I kind of, I knew who Satchel was going to be within five minutes. Um, but I didn't know how they were going to do that. Right. I, I, I felt I, like, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I think. I also did, I enjoyed, it was very detailed, like, plotting and, like, when they were doing things, like, what do you think of his shirt? And, like, they would, like, take it apart and so it's like, yeah. how does this fit, like, with the narrative of what we're trying to present? Like, Germans I, are too stylish for that shirt. And I was like, I thought what was going to happen is, they, like, they took his picture and they were yeah. like, what do you think of his shirt? And I thought were, the person at the checkpoint was going to be, why are you wearing the same shirt in this picture as you're wearing right now? Oh. But then, because I was like, so I, I really had me watching all the details of yeah. the world and I was like oh that's really good world building yeah I was really sold on you see Charlize tape a wire to herself multiple times but it doesn't really show you what she's doing like occasionally she's playing back a conversation and you're kind of like why is she listening to that conversation I don't think she would get anything out of it so I found the end where she's splicing the right. tape together yeah. genuinely like oh I did not realize that that's what she that's was true, doing yeah. I, I felt I felt taken along for the ride like yeah. I was enjoying watching James McAvoy be slippery like you don't know how much you can trust him and i think that in a limited way they do show i think like a believable thing of... like he's definitely a weasel mm-hmm. yes. like a hundred percent he wasn't a double agent but he's kind of a gross horrible person right yeah and he does kills the russian who originally killed the man at the opening sequence his friend and charlie's his former lover yeah and he does like stab him in the head and is like that's for my friend right but he like won't admit earlier on that he was his friend like he's someone who keeps everything to himself right and very much believes in just constant deception why did he kill sophia butella because she threatened him him. on the phone she's like i'm better at this than you think i am i have something on you yeah and then he was like okay well then i don't want you to reveal that i can't i can't i felt like he killed her to be like i can't have another player in my town of any kind okay i I I have a list i have killing her to fuck with Charlize. I think he was also potentially killing her to set Charlize up as Satchel. Oh, which was accurate. Correct. Because <laughs> Charlize fucks her, by the way, which we see. And it's just okay. I didn't feel like it was necessary. It didn't feel entirely gratuitous, but it also, I'm like, this should be way hotter than it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was more like, I felt like they used Delphine's character to motivate Charlize. Like, I felt she got fridged more than the man Oh, did. yeah, 100%. It was like... And I didn't know if I, I was like, it's been five days. I did like, though, that they had, like, some actual genuine tenderness between them. Because, like, you know, when they, during the sex scene, it's very much, like, raw. And then it's cuddling in bed after. And I'm like, oh, cool. (laughs) I also think she's more motivated by the Sophia Boutella's naivety. Yeah. She's, she doesn't deserve what's about to happen to her. Right. She She says you didn't have to kill her. Which is true. Because she really is, like, the sweetest little wee baby spy. And not good at it. Well, she's sort of like, hi, Charlize, I'm a spy. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I've been taking your photos. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlize makes her from, like, the second she walked out of the airport. Right. She's like, why is this girl following me? And then James McAvoy hilariously is like, have you seen yourself? (laughs) Believable line. Yes. A thing that I thought was interesting about the movie is I was almost, like, less invested in, like, the actual, like, spy-y spy stuff. And I was just really into, like, thinking about what must it have been like to be a spy, like, in Berlin at that time. And, like, just trying to... Extremely stressful was sort of the take I got. (laughs) Or even just, like, being a citizen. Like, the one time I would say that the movie, I was like, this is 
this is gratuitous and I don't need it, is at some point the Russians are trying to find spyglass. And the way that they do this is they've broken up an illicit party in East Berlin and, like, arrested ten... That's why I chose to go to the restroom during this scene. Okay, so they, like, <laughs> I arrested... I was like, I see what's coming. Yeah. They arrested, like, ten punks who were, like, dancing at a party, and they're like, that's not what East Berlin is all about. Uh, you, sir, step forward and, like, dance. And he does some, like, half-hearted breakdance move. And then he's, like, holding a skateboard so you know what's coming. And then he beats the living shit out of him with the skateboard as a technique to get everyone else to talk. And honestly, if that entire scene was cut, none of the movie would lose anything because you already know that the Russians are like, you know, like they're the, they can be faceless enemies. I don't need to see them beat someone mm-hmm. innocent with a skateboard for no fucking reason. I, I feel like this was like the Sarah Connor moment in Terminator 2 where the orderly like licks her face so that when she beats the shit out of him, like you don't feel as bad for him. Yeah. And I feel like this is them being like, when Charlize goes to fucking town on destroying these men, and I just, I was like, I don't need it. Like, they're on opposing sides. I don't need to see someone beaten with a skateboard. Right. And there's plenty of more brutality in the movie anyway, which is justified. And is relevant to the plot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm going to brush a little <laughs> dirt off my shoulder because I, as soon as they lined them up, I'm like, this is going to be gross. It's going to be unpleasant. Time to pee. Yeah. So if you're looking for a time to pee, when you see some kneel- kneeling sad men and a skateboard, get on out of there. I think there's a website that does this. Where uh, it's like when to go to the restroom. It's uh, our friends high, high on film. film. They do. That's what it is. To pee or not to yes. pee. Yes. Okay. That's, that's what I. I was like, I know that I oh. have encountered this story. <laughs> I am so curious if they're going to pick the same point as we do. Oh. Ooh. I wonder if they're even doing this movie, guys. You should. Are you going, guys? To? You should. Uh, we've had a little bit more time to think. Okay. Are we ready? To put Keanu into this film. Yes. I am not. So I don't know. Not go first. Okay. I want to make Keanu the Russian who thinks he's her handler. The, Is that the, the guy who meets her at the bar and then at the end? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the the Russian guy who at the end when it's like, oh no, Charlize is evil and she goes in her red dress to uh, yes, uh, to report to him. And it also seems like they fuck which that could have been bonus scene there, then she fucking kills him. I found, I feel like that would have been a nice Keanu role. Nice little cameo. I do know who I would cast. Okay. I would cast Keanu as the watchmaker. Ooh. The guy, because there is a guy who appears regularly, who is the same actor who played Hugo Stiglitz in Inglorious Bastards. Very prominent role in that movie. Anyway, uh, he's great. But she visits him at his watch jeweler's shop, I should say, and just says things like, I'd like to buy a watch. And he's like, come back tomorrow after closing. And then when she comes back after closing, she gets a watch and engraved on the parts of the watch are coordinates. coordinates. Yeah. I uh, loved that detail. Yeah. I was like, that's really smart. And then that's how she communicates with her other like contact in East Berlin. Uh, and he also does that kind of thing for various people. Like he's right. a neutral party. The Russian guy comes to talk to him. Yes. When we say Russian guy, there are multiple. I meant the bearded Russian guy who kills the Charlize's. Stealer. Right. Yeah. Not Charlize's would-be handler. He was someone I also considered for Keanu. This is going to be hard because I really like Toby Jones and I had to look him up to get his name. I love Toby Jones. Yeah, he's great. He's amazing. What a weird little head he has. <laughs> and I don't necessarily want, I would never normally think Toby Jones and Keanu Reeves. Interchangeable. What a, what a similar acting style. Yeah. Well, you know what just occurred to me? Two of the dwarves are in this movie. From Snow White and the Huntsman. Snow White and the Huntsman, yeah. Toby Jones and Eddie Marsden. 
Who's Eddie Marston? He was the Stasi officer. Oh! Yeah, yeah. I would like Keanu to replace Toby Jones, which is Charlize's superior officer who's in the debriefing room with her outside of the narrative that she's telling. So it's just the interstitial scene of like the framing the story. I also thought about having Keanu be the man behind the curtain in the interstitial. I thought about that, but I didn't think that that guy had enough going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Toby Jones actually does have like, there's a power play at Mm -hmm. hand between the two of them of like, who's in charge of the room. And so I feel like there, there's, I think the dynamics between them in this were actually really good. Yes. And I think like there are moments where he implies like, hey, James McAvoy told us like who you are. Yeah. And that she has to continue to like walk this tightrope. And even though those scenes are brief and not like the, there's none of the high action and we would miss out on Keanu fighting. I think that seeing them there would work. And I thought for a second about having him in the John Goodman role, but John Goodman is perfectly cast in this, John I think, Goodman, as he always is. He's so great. And it was just, I think, like, just the right amount of humor in that. And that is one thing, I'm going to segue that into, like, one of my criticisms of the movie is I think that it is uneven in tone in a way that I was a little disappointed by. Like, I think in one of the very brutal fight scenes, I think they're going for moments of humor a la Kingsman or Kick-Ass in a way that I'm like, I don't think that's the movie that you're making. And I don't think that you needed those sort of, like, I felt like there were a couple moments where, like, the audience, like, burst into laughter, and I was like, "Mm, I don't think that goes here. So I laugh points in John Wick. It's not that I think that there shouldn't be any laughter in it. I think that... But I mean, like, during fight scenes. Like, when he shoots the guy, reloads, and shoots him again. Yes. Like, that's amazing. I But I don't think that's tonally inconsistent with the movie that John Wick is. Okay. And I think that in this movie, it's a little too long and gritty and look at all of her bruises and she has a black eye like throughout it like I don't know I just I felt like there was just something like the comedian in me was just sort of like this isn't working like this isn't landing 100% right and there were other moments in the movie where I laughed where I think it did work but I I just felt like it was a little uneven I'm trying to think of a specific example okay it worked for me I think that it partially worked for me because it was set in the 80s (laughs) and and this imaginary I mean maybe imaginary I never went to Berlin this imaginary Berlin where everyone's a punk mm-hmm. yeah. so like it seemed a little cartoonish even though it does have some gritty realism like you're talking about like it, it was a heightened reality I think so so an example of I think where it works is where Spyglass is wearing this like goofy shirt and you just look at Charlize looking at him and you look at fake Alex Reed looking at him and she's like what do you think and he's like I would never wear that like I thought I was like that was meant to be funny yeah. and that felt funny to me and that worked yeah that it succeeded. Yeah. I feel like the fight scenes had, like, and something that's kind of rare in fight scenes is that they had very sort of crystallized elements of desperation in them where she's mm-hmm. like, I need to find another gun. Right. Like, so, like, and, like, the other villains are, like, recovering as well and, like, trying to get up and trying to kill There's her. one part where she's facing off with this guy and, like, they both can barely stand. Right. And, and that so they, like, take a nice ten second pause. Right. Like, they're, like, they, it's, it's not stated or anything, but they're kind of, like, truce until we can, like, focus our vision. Right, yeah. And there's a, there's a part where, like, I think I know the part you're referring to that didn't quite work as when they're in the room and she's like with the the main head henchman guy mm-hmm. and she like goes to get up and she just completely falls backwards like into a covered door and it's like and the audience laughed at that point i laughed at that yeah because it's like a slapsticky moment but like almost not intentionally 
I think it just plays it plays for laughs because of how desperate it is. I think it worked when she fell. It's when the camera pulls out and he stands up and also falls. I was like, mm, that worked did, for me. That didn't work for me. Yeah. And it was, I think it was at some point in that fight scene, but it was before that particular henchman. It was on the stairs. Where, like, he basically, like, passes out yes, and rolls down the stairs. that's what it was. So yeah. we saw this, like, really brutal fight, and you can see, like, people are covered in blood. She's, yes. like, kicked people down the I stairs. I think this guy's been shot. This guy's been shot. You think he's dead. And then he stands up and looks at the camera and wobbles and then falls down the stairs. Yeah. And that, to me, I was like, that's a different movie. Like, that was, by you- the way, the moment that I realized I hadn't cut. Yeah. Okay. Also, that, also, that's a cliche joke. Correct. Well. That that was the scene where I was just like, this isn't working. I think the falling down or the this line, and like, I, I'm i a big believer in you need levity in these yeah. gritty dark movies or else like, what's the fucking point? Right. But that was something where I was just kind of like, pick which movie. Like, are you John Wick or are you trying to be Kingsman? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just like, and that's a small, Wait, so that's you're a small saying that this thing. movie is, so Kingsman is obviously. I haven't seen that, but. Oh, that's like just a straight up cartoon. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then John Wick, you're saying, is sort of in the realm between? No, I don't think John Wick has cartoony elements. I think that John Wick is consistent in its tone, and its tone includes moments where humor can exist in the world that they've built. Okay. But I think that Atomic Blonde is pulling humor from a different style of movie and shoehorning it into the style that they've built, rather than finding the humor in the world that they've made. So, okay. like, when she falls over, that fits in the movie that they've done to me where it's sort of like she's exhausted it's believable and it 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 works in that fight scene but when it like all of a sudden cuts to a guy being like whoa i'm gonna fall that doesn't feel like part of the world that they've made okay the main thing i felt did not fit in was james mcavoy talking to the camera because i hate (laughs) that so i have a question about the plot would you have liked that more if it was just over narration Without cutting I to his face. I still wouldn't have liked it. Because he hadn't narrated right. it at all. Yes, yeah, he wasn't being debriefed. And also, like, he's not the main character. I don't really care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I also think we got that element of yeah. his character without that monologue. Yeah, it seemed superfluous. So, here's my question about the plot. Something that doesn't make sense to me. Did Charlize know James McAvoy puts a bug in her coat? Did she know that that was there? I don't think don't so. Think because so, no. she assumes that she's bugged when she's talking to Sophia. That's the hush-hush scene. This is why that bothers me a little bit. She has, like, all of these trunks of super fashionable clothes brought over. We see her in several other jackets in the right. first few scenes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, now I'm going to exclusively wear my one coat that's been bugged. Maybe they could have thrown in a nice little exposition about like, oh, it's unseasonably cold. I mean, it was November, so I guess it would yeah. be cold anyway. That didn't bother me because I didn't think it was the only bug. Okay. I thought it was I the mean, bug they, she they found. show the moment that he put it on her. Yes. But I also, I thought the implication was... He's so good. Because he says, he's like, you'll never see me coming if I were following you. Okay. And he, like, breaks into her room while she's, like, in the bath. And she's very surprised. So I think it's sort of like, we're showing how this bug got there. But the implication is, like, he's able to do things that she didn't notice because he is a very capable spy. But I was really glad that he was a capable enemy. I'm very tired of spy movies being like, a very good spy against just a powerful evil person, but not like someone who's very smart or clever right, or right. good at what they say. Like, yeah. 
he was good at who he was. Yeah, right. there's a lot of spy versus spy stuff in this, which is refreshing. Mm-hmm. And, and effective. And one of the reasons I really liked it. Honestly, I forgot how much I like spy movies. Right. It, and then, like, halfway through this, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is a great genre of movie. Yeah, and you can really make it work. It kind of reminded me of that uh, movie, Enemy at the Gates. Enemy, Enemy at the Gates. Yeah. Sniper versus Sniper. Yeah. Usually it's things like, oh, Sniper versus Tank or something like that. Right. American or, Sniper is also Sniper versus Sniper versus Fake Baby. Right. And it's terrible. Yeah. The other nitpick I have for this movie, wow, their fake ice looked fake. Their fake ice looked yeah. fake. The fake ice in so she takes these ice baths. The first one makes sense cuz she's beat to hell. Right. So like she's but then she apparently just does that. Right. Because she is not beat up at all in the beginning and she's like, I'm going to take a nice bath just for funsies when he breaks into her apartment. Maybe she had a fever. Wasn't that after the police? But she's not, like, bruised or anything. Not yet. Okay. That's, how, that's why she takes the ice bath. All right. I'll allow it. I will not <laughs> allow how that's a bunch of plastic. <laughs> and even, like, in her drinks, it looked like plastic. And I'm like, okay. That's how ice looked in the 80s, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't remember. Yeah. I was only five. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't need realism in my... Yeah. Do you know what I do need in my life? A smoky eye as good as Charlize's in this movie. <laughs> that was one thing that, that was another thing that I loved about this movie is the camera loved looking at Charlize in a way that was just like, they really like focused, like she was just the focus of almost like every show. Yeah. And not just because it's like, oh my God, she's so stunning and beautiful. But like, there was a lot of like, you know, I think like close up acty moments. Right. Uh, they definitely gave her good opportunities for face acting, which yeah. she is phenomenal at. Yeah. And she was just like, mm, I'm going to pull this scenery out of my teeth. I'm going to pull that scenery out of my teeth. But like very, I think this is one of the. subtle moments too. No, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I think she like inhaled the scenery, but in a understated way that we haven't seen in other roles. Okay. I don't, maybe, it's definitely like maybe scenery chewing is not the right metaphor. I really think of her scenery chewing as like you Huntsman. know Huntsman. This I feel like there were some moments where she was playing it very arch, mm. like when she's sort of doing the like I'm the sexiest spy in the world stuff. Like especially like interrogation room scenes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, you are laying it on kind of thick here, girl. Right. But I wouldn't call it scenery. I think it was just uh, it was so intense in a way where it was like quietly dynamic like you couldn't like yeah. you had to watch what she was doing yeah. Oh, yeah if that makes sense so maybe this scenery chewing is the wrong phrase but i don't have a phrase for it how much basically how do we feel about Charlize's acting uh, i thought she was good i thought she actually held her accent together very well so i was really nervous about the accent in the trailer yes but it was actually pretty good and yeah. then also, it's delightful that it's fake all along! Well, that's the thing, because like, I had to guess, because we, we were talking about it in the trailer, and yeah. like, yeah, it definitely falters, and I definitely noticed it falter throughout yeah. the movie a little bit. Like, she gets her L's wrong sometimes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I wonder if the, the final twist is going to be that she's actually an American agent. Well, very good job. It totally was. As soon as it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, Okay. <laughs> I saw that, and I knew that was going to happen. But I do think she deserves it was, kudos. It was, it was better than I thought it would be. They do but, also have a great moment where the German guy makes fun of her for having a bad German accent. I yes. really liked that. That's another example where, like, that was funny and that was and, believable. And organic, yeah. Correct. Yes. Also, the moment where she has an interaction with the West German undertaker, or uh, not undertaker, person who runs the morgue, where she's like... The coroner? 
Yes. Yeah. They're like sort of like sniping at each other where it's like the German person is obviously like, I have no respect for you. And yeah. She's like, I have no respect for you. And it's like a weird power struggle. And she's like, oh, like there's a mistake on the form. Like you can't take the body. And she's like, it's just a mistake. Like give it to me. And she's like, Germans don't make mistakes. And like the <laughs> dynamic between the two of them. And then you learn later that Charlize did that on purpose. Right. But I like, I, I thought that was very funny. Yeah. That scene was very funny to me. Or the, the whole thing is like, is he, is he a colleague of yours? He's from a different department. What department? A different department. Yeah, right. <laughs> they were so beautifully bitchy to each other. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, like, her acting in this, I do think it's different than a lot of the things we've seen otherwise. Absolutely. Like, it is not, it's not young adult Charlize. No. She does not have the amount of lines. Like, there's a right. lot, I think, of, like, quiet intensity. And yeah. Like, yeah. She did incredible work. This is something where I'm just going to make a prediction that's a little pessimistic. I don't think this movie's going to get a sequel. And I don't think, I think it's going to underperform. I agree. And I think that if Charlize Theron were, for example, Tom Cruise or Matt Damon. Like, this movie will probably make more money than Jack Reacher did in its first weekend. Yep. And guess what? We're not going to see Atomic Blonde never back down. Correct. (laughs) Or never go back, whatever the hell. Atomic Blonde, reaching around. (laughs) (laughs) Still Atomic. I like that they never explained the title. Yeah. Worked for me. It just is what it is. Um, I will say, yeah, I, I probably won't get a thing. I, I have noticed a, a particular colleague of mine, uh, his particular critique of the movie, why he didn't want to see it. He was like, oh, I think that looks terrible. And I was like, why? And he was like, she, how does she synchronize putting all the umbrellas up at once? Like, that was the critique he had. And I was like, really, that's that's your most unrealistic moment in a spy thriller movie? But Jason Bourne, that you're fine with? I mean, have you right. seen... Uh, what is it? Improv everywhere. The fucking Grand Central right? Station. Yeah, like, we have a right. ton of YouTube movies that people are able to synchronize <laughs> their actions. Yeah. yeah, but also it is rend- justifiably rendered in the movie. Like, yeah, how they do that. Yeah, like, and that's specifically the moment that I was like, guys, don't put that in the trailer. I did, I did not remember that from the trailer, I, and I was appropriately well, delighted. I was well, very annoyed. Apparently, it's putting people off seeing the movie. I yeah, like <laughs> this is a movie where I'm genuinely like I'm mad at the trailer. Like I think it. I think it undercuts the movie definitively. No, and I think part of it was, like, obviously I saw the trailer when we saw Fate of the Furious, but then all these Twitter ads, I've been, like, violently scrolling past them. Correct. But the one thing that I kept seeing, because I think it's at the very beginning of one of the main Twitter ads, is her beating up the guy with her shoe. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, like, that would have been a really fun surprise. Also, like, I don't know, I, I maybe would have found the... Uh, girl on girl action a little bit more hot if I didn't know it was coming the whole time. Yeah, it, it gives away every every cool moment is given away in the trailer. I feel like though we're sort of saying like, oh, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the good parts of the movie. I don't think oh, no, that's I, no, I, that's not I what I mean. Highly recommend everyone go see this. Movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's not what I mean. I more mean when you see the movie. There will be few highlights from the movie that you won't have already seen in the okay. trailer. Yeah, the trailer erases all of the peril in the movie. Oh, shame. Hopefully listening to this podcast hasn't erased all the peril in the movie. Guys, go see this movie. Yes. Give, give some money to Charlize. Um, this is a movie that I don't normally like seeing movies twice. Yeah. I think that this would be a movie worth seeing twice in theaters because the twist like did had me going like I was kind of like wait what and I think that watching it again it will have the benefit of like oh I didn't see that coming I think it will have layers to it that we didn't notice the first time around so anyway three thumbs up absolutely and thanks for listening it feels weird not to be doing the rankings right now I I agree so it's (laughs) just like oh I, I guess we stop now thank you to Sean for hosting our podcast at this screening That was so kind of you. Please go listen to 
to the 200th episode of You Can't Handle the Truth and any of their 200 episodes. Also listen to High on Film and see whether or not uh, their pee breaks line up with our yeah, pee breaks. Yeah, compare them with ours. Yes. Also just generally enjoy them. Yes, they're wonderful. They're great. If you don't see Alex Reed in this movie, uh, feel free to get his album, which just came out and he has a new music video, I believe. Yes. Guys, we'll link to it on our Twitter. And we're really excited to say that Alex is hopefully going to be a guest on the podcast soon because he's, he's coming to Pittsburgh. And we're going to pick his musical brain. So thanks, Alex, for our song and for being such a cool dude. Thanks for listening. And most importantly, thank, thank you, Charlies. I disagree. No, you do like James Madison. You will like Scottish actors in this house. <laughs> <laughs>